You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Are there any Bears fans in the room today? Okay, so I'm not sure there were more than last service. It was a much fuller room, but there was definitely a louder response in this service. So you must be the fans who do the crazy paint and stuff. Okay, so are there any Colts fans in the room today? That was kind of unfair, wasn't it? Well, I just want to apologize up front for my opening illustration. So... Everybody at home watching online, I don't know if you could hear that or if you have a particular fan choice, but I'm a huge football fan and we're glad you're watching. So, in 2006, at the end of the year in the Super Bowl, the Bears played the Colts. You remember that? And it was an extremely rainy Super Bowl, which nobody anticipated, except for one person. Peyton Manning started earlier in the season grabbing his center, Jeff Saturday, and periodically after practice, they would dip footballs in buckets of water and practice hiking them and throwing them just in case he ever ended up in a rainy game. Even though Peyton Manning played half or more because they went into the playoffs having a lot of home field advantage, inside a dome, he practiced on a regular basis with footballs that were wet. And the reason that he did that is because he wanted to be ready when the day came so that he could pass the test. Now, you could maybe do an argument about whether Rex Grossman was as good a quarterback as Peyton Manning. That that would be a great conversation for football fans some other time. However, what I could say is this. In the actual Super Bowl, because the rain was so bad, Peyton had one fumble and one interception, and Rex Grossman had two fumbles and two interceptions. It played a huge role in who actually won the game. Now, sorry to the Bears fans, but it makes me wonder this. If you could make one move, one decision, one change in your life right now that would add tremendous value to you and those around you, what would it be? One thing that if you were to start doing it today, practicing it today, even if the dividends for it paid off much further down the road, what would that one thing be? My hope is by the end of today, you have one very clear action step. What I want you to do right now is, if you would, open your Bible. If you don't know how to use a Bible, don't even worry about it. Everything will be up here on the screens, or if you're watching online, it'll be right here below my knees. You'll be able to see everything right there. But if you know how to use a Bible, I want you to see this for yourself. We're going to turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, we see a really fascinating, fascinating study. Because it's very early, if you notice in the book of John, we're very early in the relationship between Jesus and his disciples, but we see Jesus doing everything that he said he would do. So for those of you who are watching online for the first time or listening later on down the road, you picked up in the middle of our series, or if you're visiting with us today, I want to try to bring you up to speed about where we are. I'll actually drop a little bit of where we're going next week, just in case you're not here on Memorial Day, but give you a big enough picture to be able to figure out where you are in relation to Jesus. We started out in the first two weeks, we talked about how when we enter into a relationship with God, the very first thing that happens to us is Jesus says, just come and see who I am. Over and over and over again, Jesus invites people, just come and see. 
A guy wrote a book, his name is uh, Dan Spader, and Dan Spader's book is called The Four-Chair Discipling. And in that, he uses this analogy of each of these chairs representing these different stages of our growth and our walk with Jesus. And he says, and I think rightfully so, chair one is just come and see. In fact, at some point, you were invited into this relationship, this exploratory conversation with Jesus, by doing this very thing. In fact, people, when they first come to Jesus, they're just coming to see, but then they go around and tell other people you ought to come and see. Andrew invites Peter, everybody goes and invites Philip and Nathaniel, and they just keep saying over and over and over again, just come and see. And the thing is, some of you are in this chair right now. If you are checking out Jesus, you are what we would call a seeker. You're just looking into it. You're just asking questions, and it is a okay thing to do. The disciples spent roughly 18 months with Jesus before he moved them from chair one to chair two. So don't be surprised if the things that we talk about in our messages that go to chair two, chair three, and even chair four, I know you don't know what that means yet, but they're further on down the line and they don't make sense to you yet. And to you and to your friends you run into at school or work or in your neighborhood, just keep saying, just come and see. Just come and see. I know you got great questions. I know there's hard questions. I know you heard rumors about what Christians are like. Just Come and see for yourself. Come and hang out with my family. Come and do a cookout with us. Maybe come to, you know, trunk or treat or, or whatever, this summer event that we're offering. Just come to church with me sometime. Just come and see for yourself. Just check it out. Ask some questions. And if you're here, we're so glad that you're here. Really, we are so glad that you're here. But at some point, Jesus wants you to move from come and see to this chair, which is follow me. The transition from come and see to follow me, the difference is that you have made a decision to actually go all in with Jesus. To go all in with Jesus means that you are a disciple or literally a follower of Jesus. To be a disciple means to be mentored, to be taught, to be instructed about how to live, how to think, how to see the world. Now to go from come and see To follow me is a process that gets transitioned in your heart. And that transition begins when you step up and say, I'm going in with Jesus. Now, the way we mark this decision here at Kingsway is we mark it through baptism. Now, we don't sprinkle here at Kingsway, but I couldn't get enough water up on stage to make the point. The transition from come and see to follow me is when you say, okay, God, I don't understand everything there is to know about you but I've seen enough to know that I'm gonna bet my life on you. I'm gonna literally trust you with my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. The Bible says that we do this by repenting. And what the word repent means is to turn. So when I come to God, I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to have everything cleaned up. I come and see Jesus, and the moment I'm convinced that he is the son of God who died on a cross and rose from the dead, I then mark that decision by saying, okay, here I am, God. And when I do that, I take what I call a position of repentance to God. What that means is, God, I don't know everything that needs to change about the way I live and think and see the world, but I trust you. I'm here to tell you right now, I'm 42 years old, I've been a pastor 20 years, did I just say how old I was allowed? <clears throat> I'm 29 years old for the 13th time. And, um, and there's still things that Jesus reveals to me, usually through my wife, that needs to change about me. <laughs> Wasn't as funny as I thought it was. But anyway, you don't know yet everything that God wants to change about you. 
Your only decision at this point is, I trust you, God. So whatever it is you wanna do in me, I'm here. I'm here. But the thing is, God doesn't intend to leave you here. Remember what he said to the disciples? The first disciples were fishermen. James and John, Peter and Andrew had a fishing business, probably worked together a lot of times. And when Jesus looked at them, he said, come follow me and I will do what? Make you fishers of men. Which only goes to show that Jesus is the king of terrible puns. I know you're fishermen, but follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And I'm guessing the wink, like I don't speak Greek, but it's in there. If you read it, it's there. You're like, wow, that's a really bad joke. It gets worse. Stick around. Okay, so chair three represents when I am not just saved. That's crooked. That's going to drive some of you nuts, isn't it? Is that better? All the, like, why, why is everybody doing that in the room? I don't know what's going on. The detailed people in the room need it straight. Okay. <clears throat> When we come from come and see to follow me to I will make you fishers of men, what we're beginning to see is Jesus is changing our lives. He's on a mission from God. And the goal of that mission is to change us. Now, the beauty of this mission is that God is absolutely sold out to changing you. Did you know that? In fact, I used to keep this verse on my mirror. Paul writes, and I believe it's in Philippians, he says, he who began a good work in you will be sure to bring it to completion. In other words, he didn't just begin a work in you to actually believe in Jesus, and that was the end of the conversation, but he actually wants to lead you on a journey, on a path to being fully like Jesus Christ, made just like his image, passionate about what he's passionate about, excited about what he gets excited about, in love with the things that he gets in love with. Now, the disciples, you can actually watch this journey unfold. Multiple times along the way, we see the disciples fighting with each other over which of them is the greatest. And more than once, they have this conversation. And one time, some of their mamas actually go to Jesus and say, hey, will you put my one son on your right and my other son on your left? And what that means is, when you come into all your power, will you make sure that my kids are the most recognizable in the kingdom? To which Jesus keeps looking at them and saying, you have no idea what you're asking. Do you think you can handle the truth? I mean, it's not exactly what he said, but it's pretty close because what he's trying to get to is you don't realize when you are fully made into my image, you won't care about position and power and money and influence anymore. Now you'll care about making men and women and children just like me. And to fully blow their minds, John chapter four. In John chapter four, he takes them into the heart of enemy territory. Here's what I mean by that. John chapter four takes place around a very important well that's in a town controlled by the Samaritans. There's no great comparison for me to tell you like, think of the Samaritans like this, but if I were to name a people group in the world today, and I were to mention whatever it is, their, their thing, their struggle, their whatever it is, their religious belief, whatever it was, their nationality, if I were to name it, you immediately would start having a monologue in your head. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, those people, well, those people, the problem with those people is they could, you know, that person, that people group? If I were to say that, whatever that word is, for you, that's how the Jews thought about Samaritans. 
In fact, Jewish people hated and despised Samaritans so badly that they would rather add tons of time and miles and travel and expense to their trip to travel all the way around the town of Samaria to avoid going through Samaria. Jesus does the opposite. And notice we're in John chapter 4, which means we're really early in the story. The disciples are all at different places. They've definitely moved from come and see to follow me, but they're probably teetering back and forth between these two chairs. They understand what Jesus said to them, but they don't understand how it plays out. And we actually see this at other points in the Gospels when some of the disciples are like, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy those Samaritans? And Jesus is like, guys, what, what? Like, that is not what we're doing here. And he's showing it to them in John chapter four. In John chapter four, Jesus pulls up to the well, middle of the day, it's hot. You don't go to the well in the middle of the day when it's hot. You know why you don't? Because it's hot. (laughs) You go to the well early in the morning. You go to the well later in the evening. You don't go to the well and do hard work where you have to travel to a well and travel back with the water in the middle of the day. But here we find Jesus in the middle of the day at the well. And the disciples have gone off to pick up food because everybody's hungry. So they're going off to wherever they went off and Jesus is by himself and there's a woman there at the well. Jesus begins a conversation with her. He's inviting her into a come and see relationship with himself. And he says, would you get me some water from the well? Now, When this conversation first begins to take place, there's two things to note. Not only do Jews and Samaritans hate each other, no Jew would speak to a Samaritan, but he's also a man. And a man in that culture wouldn't have spoken to a woman. It would have been culturally inappropriate. So we have a Jewish man, and not only that, but a rabbi, a teacher, speaking to a woman who's one of them. And Jesus just looks at her and says, would you get me a drink from the well? To which then they start to spar back and forth this conversation where she is constantly, because of her shame in life, trying to keep Jesus at bay. You know what this looks like, right? Have you ever had somebody talk to you about something that you don't want to deal with, and so you change the subject? You maybe verbally attack them? You avoid them? That's what she's doing. But Jesus won't let her get away. So she starts to ask him hard spiritual questions. And he says, listen, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking me for water. Because the water I would give you, you'd never be thirsty again. To which she starts to kind of get a little bit snippety with him. She's like, oh, well, tell me where I can find that water. Because apparently you think your water is better than the water that comes out of Jacob's well, which is a huge deal in the Hebrew culture. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Like, this is a big deal. And Jesus looks at her and says, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. Here, go get your husband. We'll talk to him. And she goes, I don't have a husband. And he said, very good. You're right. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now, even he's not your husband. And she goes, uh, What? And she says, how do you know that? In fact, she goes, I can see that you're a prophet. In other words, you must have spiritual insight because even the people in my hometown don't know that and you're clearly a Jewish man and you clearly are something special. I get that. You must be a prophet. And Jesus says, no, it's bigger than that. And she says to herself, she says, or says to him, Well, I know this, the Jews say this. The Jews say that one day when the Messiah comes, he's gonna do these things that Jesus says, you have no idea, you have no idea, I am the Messiah. Then look at the conversation. John, chapter four, 
Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and what? Do you see it? Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town. They made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've heard this story, we we giggle at the disciples. Like the disciples, they're afraid to say it to Jesus because they've been made to look silly so many times by not understanding what Jesus is up to that they're afraid to ask. So they just look at each other like, hey, did, did he have some bread shoved in there? Like maybe somebody else gave him food. Did you see somebody else give him food? Like Jesus, we got food for you. You sent us off to get food. Like, yeah, I've got food to eat. It, it's not that though. What are you talking about? Well, Jesus clarifies for them. Look at the next verse. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, you all are focused on lunch. I don't care. This is the same guy who spent 40 days not eating or drinking in the wilderness while he's being tempted by Jesus. He's letting him know, look, I got bigger things. I got bigger fish to fry. Just thought of that one. <laughs> no? Okay. I got bigger things going on than food. Well, what is that, Jesus? Aren't you hungry? Guys, I'm being fed. Well, how could you be fed? Because I'm doing everything the Father has asked me to do. And when you get to where I am, you'll feel the same way. Do you get the implication? You are so focused on the things of this earth that are passing away. They're dying. They're not gonna be here forever. And you're missing the big meal that God has in front of you. Why are they missing it? Because they haven't been fully transformed yet into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And my guess is we sometimes struggle with the same thing. We get so focused on my life, my family, my time, my money, my energy, my story, my retirement my inheritance, my job, my car, my friends, my homework, my job. What's the problem in all these things? Instead of where Jesus is, to do your will, Lord, it's my desire. If it means giving up food or water for a moment, so be it. If it means talking to people that the people I hang out with despise, so be it. My one purpose is to please you. And Jesus says, I don't need to eat. That's all the food I need. Some of you can't wait for me to finish. You can go to lunch, and now you feel convicted, right? (laughs) Don't worry about it. Chick-fil-A's closed. It's not worth it. Just fast for the day. All right. John 4, 35. Don't you have a saying, Jesus says? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. What does Jesus mean? Well, this is actually pretty simple. It's an agricultural society. Most of what they did was farming in some capacity or another. They're very popular. They were shepherding and all these other things, but it was all based around agriculture. And Jesus is simply saying, in order for you to have wheat that's fully grown, in order for you to have an apple tree producing apples 
You actually have to start by planting a seed in the ground. The seed must be planted. But he's telling them, we're not looking at a field that only is seeds. We're not looking at a field that's just starting to grow. You know, when you drive past a cornfield and you're like, oh, soon, Indiana sweet corn, come to me, baby. No, we're talking about looking out at a field that is ripe and ready. If somebody will just run out into the field and grab the stuff, they'll eat. And Jesus is saying, the fields in front of you are ripe. Listen, I don't know where you are yet in this process, but that is no different today. The fields in front of you are ripe. Yes, some people you will meet just need you to plant a seed of faith and say, come and see Jesus for yourself. Let's just open a Bible together. Let's just hang out together. You'll see I'm not as weird as the trolls on Facebook tell you that I am. Okay, I might be, but most of you aren't. Just come and see for yourself. You'll see a loving, encouraging, engaging, life-filled group of people. Come and see. Just come and see. But others are already ready. They just need somebody to come alongside them and say, let me tell you what's next for you. It's Jesus. Look at verse 36. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. This is really simple. What Jesus just said is, I'm sending you out to simply gather in the fruit. The reason I can have a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well, and it's going to produce fruit, just stay here and watch for a little while, is because others have actually gone ahead of us and invested and are ready. We just have to have spiritual eyes. If we would open our eyes, stop judging, stop condemning, stop saying, no, not that people, and start loving and start living in a way that says, I believe that Jesus does change hearts. Jesus puts lives and marriages and families and people back together. If I would start living my life that way, I could actually be a part of those reaping the harvest. And when I do, all of heaven will join me in rejoicing that I have invested my life in that way. That would be powerful, wouldn't it? Yeah, you can clap for that. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What? This woman just went from come and see to follow me. She's already making fishers of men. This happened in like a day. He told me everything I ever did, she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And Jesus stayed with them two days. That was all that was needed. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said we now have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Do you know why his message took hold so quickly in the lives of the Samaritans? Notice here, it doesn't say that he did a bunch of healing. It wasn't the miracles that drew them to him. Do you know what it was? It was his love. The other Jews were so busy judging. It was Jesus' presence to accept them for where they were, not for where they needed to be, that allowed them to trust him and look into what he was saying and believe. Oh, to have a church like that. 
There's a man in our church, he's a good man. His name is Tom. He's been here many, many years. And Tom went through a hard season in his life, season of doubt and wrestling, falling away. And he's been on the slow climb back towards God. And Tom recently sat down and we got to interview him. We kind of compiled his story to share with you. Tom has three daughters, all of them serving in various capacities, Jesus. One of them married a pastor from a church down in Kentucky, and recently that pastor, son-in-law of his, gave him this book. I don't know how well you could see this. It's called Four Chair Discipling by Dan Spader. And he said, there we go, look at that. And he said this book revolutionized his thinking revolutionized the way he saw God and the way he understood what God was doing in his life and in his world. What I wanted to do was just share Tom's testimony with you before I finish up today. Take a look. I became a Christian back in 1977. It was February. Uh, I had a baby daughter that was going to be born the next month. And I decided, you know, uh, my wife had talked me into going to church a couple times, which was the first time in my life I'd been in a church. And, um, you know, this Jesus sounded kind of good and sounded kind of important and, and sounded like, you know, that sounds like a good, good spot for me to go to. So uh, one Saturday uh, afternoon in February in 77, uh, the preacher from a church came over and talked to me uh, about it. and and. Uh, he said, well, maybe Sunday we can baptize you. I said, well, Sunday, let's go now. So this is this important, we ought to just do it. So we went to the church. I was baptized into Christ, accepted him. But after that, I was kind of just set out there. You know, uh, everybody was happy for me. Everybody said, oh, wow, great, great, great. But nobody took me underneath their wing and said, hey, as a Christian, this is what you need to, to do. This is what you need to learn. This is how you need to grow. This is what grows you. This, this is what makes you strong. This is what gives you the, the ability to, to stand with Jesus, you know? Uh, uh, saved, yeah, I was saved, but I was just kind of there then. I mean, it's just like you move from over here needing Christ to over here accepting Christ. And that's kind of where it, it stood for a while. You know, I, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I used to be really on fire. I used to uh, work around uh, Kingsway all the time. I led a drama group and uh, we took them on tour in the summer around the country. And uh, I was a youth coach. Uh, I taught what used to be called King's Clubhouse, which was uh, uh, third through sixth grade uh, church during church time. And uh, man, I was on fire. As I got older, I kind of just pulled back and pulled back as my kids started getting married and growing up and having kids. I knew I wasn't doing enough. Uh, I was not sharing my faith like I should have been. I was not, uh, um, and this is even after being a Christian for a lot of years, I, I still wasn't going out seeking, searching, and sharing and telling the good news. Like, like you need to be ready for everybody. Everybody needs to hear the, the news about Christ. I mean, uh, you know, and, and Dan Spader talked about being in that uh, third seat, as he puts it, he has this four-chair discipleship thing, and in the third seat, you know, you, you have some fruit, but you need to get over to that fourth seat where you have much fruit, and that's where you've led a lot of people, told a lot of people about the, the good news, and 
let them at least come to their own decision, you know? Because uh, I promise you, when I became a Christian at 24, I had never ever went to church for anything but funerals. Uh, I knew Jesus was born on Christmas. Everybody knew that. And, and he delivered eggs on Easter or had something to do with that. Uh, that's the only thing. And that's probably as close as I ever knew about the good news. If somebody hadn't told me, I would still be in a lost world, in a lost state. My happy Christian life at the time was going to church on Sunday, you know, praying before meals, I could do that. And um, I'd pray at night. Um, some of the changes I did make after reading the book is I turned off my car radio. So driving to and from work, which is about a 35 minute commute each way, I spent that time praying now. Uh, I started praying and I started actually trying to listen to the Holy Spirit talk to me, tell me what I need to do in my life, to become a friend to me, not just a, uh, this ghost-like creature that I didn't know. Um, I tried to make the Holy Spirit more a part of my life and, and to find out what direction He wants me to lead. It's just a great time to sit and listen and I try not to make it 35 minutes of, Lord, I need this, I need that, I want you to do this, I want you to do that. I want it to be kind of fellowship. And then I pray, Lord, you tell me who I need to talk to. Uh, you lead me to where I need to be. Um, you, you tell me, Lord, uh, this guy over here, he's hurting. I don't know this, but you do. Tell, tell me what I need to say. And, and I uh, got to where I was trusting Christ for for uh, the Holy Spirit to put the, the words in me that I need to share with people. I'm just nothing but a normal man, uh, you know, uh, saved by the grace of God uh, through a lot. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm either high or low, but I do know the truth. I can't go back and change any yesterdays, but I can work for tomorrow. And Tom did a great job. John chapter 15, verse 16, says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Appointed you so that you would go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. So the difference between being just a chair three follower of Jesus and a chair four follower of Jesus. Here is where most people get stuck between these two chairs. Either they don't transition from here to here or they don't transition from here to here. And the reason we get stuck in these two chairs is because once we cross a line of faith, we think we're good. People have said to me as a pastor for years, man, I don't care where I am in heaven. As long as I get in, I'm good. Jesus says, you who are faithful with little will be given much more responsibility in the eternal kingdom. So think about that. My faithfulness here is directly related to God trusting me there. There's a responsibility there. It's not just a, whoo, made it in. There's a work to be done. This is why Paul says that we are to do the work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Well, what is that work? Kingsway Christian Church is what we would call an evangelical church. And I'm afraid to say that word because it's got a whole bunch of baggage today. 
I mean, when was the last time you heard the word evangelical in a way that encouraged your heart? And part of it is the church, the evangelical church, has earned a really bad name, like earned it. Like we've done some junk that is not becoming of Jesus Christ. But the word evangelical originally was actually a really good word because really what it meant is a herald. But see, that word doesn't mean much to us today unless you're singing Christmas songs and you say, hark the herald angels sing. And I'm always trying to figure out, are the angels singing hark? Are the angels singing hark the herald? The whole point is they are a herald. A herald was a person who would be sent out with an important message to proclaim to everybody. And that's what the evangelistic eongelion is. The eongelion is a Greek word for the person who proclaims and takes this message of great news to the ends of the earth. What is the great news? That in Jesus Christ, God is transforming us from death to life, but he didn't just make that jump. He then committed to transform us into the likeness of his son. God doesn't intend for you to just cross a line and stay there. And the reason most people get stuck here is they start doing some Christianese kinds of things and they go, I'm good. And they don't realize the Holy Spirit is calling and drawing and, and trying to woo them to not stop here, but to keep going so that their lives bear much fruit for Jesus. How do we get there? What's the actual path? Well, at Kingsway, we've tried to make it easy. We've tried to spell it out. Now, the danger of what I'm about to do is we never envisioned this going exactly as I'm going to tell it to you. But I want to try to make it easy for you today. So that you can answer that question we started with, what is one step you could take that would add significant value to your life and the lives of those you love? So, in front of you, unless you're sitting in the very front row, should be a stack of cards that look just like this. You might grab them. These cards we spelled out to make it obvious for you. So... Wherever I am in this journey, like the woman at the well, I might be a chair two or three or four, but the point is at some point, I'm starting to invite others in to come and see who Jesus is. After I do that, the key between going from here to here is that I've got to connect with God. I don't know if you know this or not, but we have a bunch of people who go online and watch our sermons. Because people think that apparently our worship and our coffee and the messages are pretty good. So people will come to church at Kingsway on a Sunday morning and they will connect with God through a Sunday morning platform. And that is huge for them. But I can tell you this, if you only stay at connecting on Sunday morning and you never go any further than that, you will stall out in your faith. And in fact, at some point, you will actually abandon your faith. True story. Because if your faith is only fueled by your connection to God through whatever I teach or whatever Rhett leads us in worshiping, you will never become the person that God envisioned you to become. Which is why we say connect is not just with God, but connect is with other people. In order for you to get to where you need to be in your faith, you're going to need the Christian community coming alongside you. Because the Bible says that as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. And the same is true for women. The point is I need sharpening forces in my life to call me out, to point me in the right direction, to encourage me in my faith, to challenge me to step into hard things. And that only happens when I connect with God by connecting with others. But not just that. At some point, if I'm going to become like Jesus Christ, then in this world, I'm going to have to serve like him. The transition from here to here, forget there for a minute, is that I'm beginning to see that this world isn't about me. 
That more cars, more houses, uh, more fun, more vacations, more clothing, it's not going to fulfill me. That at some point, if I want to be like my heavenly father, then I have to sacrifice on his behalf. Which is why we've been calling a bunch of you to serve and get plugged in to the church. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Before I go to the fourth chair, I want you just to think about these things. We have a bunch of small groups at Kingsway. I want you to imagine with me for a minute that a family comes to visit Kingsway. They could be here or they could be here in their faith. But at some point, they make this journey and they say, okay, I'm convicted by Pastor Matt. His sermons aren't enough to grow me into who Jesus wants me to be, so what else do I need? And they say, I know what I need to do. I need to connect with other believers. And then they come to us and they say, is there anywhere for me to connect? And we say, well, We'll call some life groups and see if there's an opening. And then all of the current life groups go, nope, no room in the end. Because that's sometimes what happens. Or a group gets together and they love each other because they've been together now for two years or three years or four years or five years. And they say, you know what? We just don't want to multiply our group. We just love being together. And essentially what happens is we never progress to the point where we are now bearing much fruit and multiplying ourselves because we never give anybody else the opportunity to receive what God has given us. And I know some of you are feeling convicted because some of you have been wrestling for a while like, how do I take what God has given me and multiply it out beyond? But then what happens is people show up at a church our size and they go, well, they don't need me. You know how many thousands of people are there every single Sunday? And yet every year we do a serve drive and every year it ends and every year there's massive needs every year. And we're on the phone, we're calling people and going, man, we need more people, we need more people. But you know what? Even bigger than the fact that we need some of you to step, we need all of you to step into serving, you need it. You will never become the person that God has intended for you to become if you never find a place to give and to serve from your heart. Never. In fact, this, I hope this analogy doesn't offend anybody. I used it last service, and I'm just gonna take a chance and ask for grace up front, okay? If you were to meet a 55-year-old man living in his parents' basement, and he refuses to get a job, he refuses to get a family, he refuses to get an education, and he refuses to pay rent, would you look at that man and say, way to go, buddy. You're living the life. Well, yeah, you probably would look at him and go, I don't know how you pulled that off, but well done. No, you would look at him and say, hey, dude, it's time to grow up. This is no different. If you have been a Christian for any length of time and you have never found a place to serve, it's like you're an adult who refuses to grow up. Think about that. And I get it. I'm gonna remove excuses for a minute, right? So I'm asking for grace. I know, you're like, we're not giving grace towards me. I know, but go with me here, all right? Sometimes we need hard truths. Think about this. You're busy, right? I know. We have business owners and teachers and lawyers and really busy people who serve every Sunday. And I want you to think about now when this person, this woman at the well, who's got all this baggage and pain in her life, and she comes to Kingsway. Could you imagine the difference in her experience when she meets really busy people like her who can look at her and say, I'm so glad you're here today. Why don't you give me your kids? We're gonna love on them. They're gonna have a blast. You go take an hour and relax and hear from God. Here's a cup of coffee. It's really good coffee, actually. And we're so glad you're here. It's raining why don't you hop in my golf cart? I'll drive you up to the door. You can stay dry. You didn't plan on that today. We got you covered. 
Imagine what would happen to somebody like this who came in already afraid and anxious about what they would hear and instead what they got over and over and over again was love, 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 love. You're a 55-year-old man living in your basement, but love, love, love. Imagine what would happen. And I don't think it's fair to say that only chair for people give. I don't think that's accurate. But I'll tell you this, the number one idol in America is money. And the reason is, is because we have it. You go to foreign countries where people don't have much money, it's a whole lot easier to give because I ain't got much of it. You come here and we have an abundance of it and we hold on to it tightly. And we don't fund the missions of the world. We don't fund the mission of the church because we're too busy buying another fill in the blank. And if you're feeling convicted by any of this, I hope it's because God is stirring in you because I don't need you to feel guilty. I don't need you to feel ashamed. I want you to see all that God dreams that you could become. So here, let me ask you this question again. What is one decision that you need to make that would add unbelievable value to your life or to those around you? Which one action do you need to take? All right, I'm gonna go a step further. I want you to go ahead and grab the card in front of you that best represents that action. Go ahead. Can't eat lunch till I say we're done. You might as well grab one. I'm teasing. Now, I get it. You may need time. It took the disciples 18 months for it to go from here to here, but don't let that be the gauge because it took the woman at the well a few hours. Some of you may need more time. That's okay. But do not take one more moment longer than you need to become all that God has planned for you. What we're gonna do now is celebrate God because he alone is worthy. While we sing this song, if at any moment, because I've been praying all morning, the Holy Spirit would get your attention, if at any moment the Holy Spirit reaches out and he gets you, and you just start feeling convicted, you reach out and you grab that card. You can go to our Connect Hub at any point. You could take all four of them and say, help me, I need to do all these things. I don't care, take as many as you need. But you go to the Connect Hub and they will tell you how to fulfill it. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this church. God, I thank you, I'm an honored God, that this broken, imperfect man gets to lead this amazing group of people. And God, I thank you that your spirit is good enough to both convict us of our sin, lead us to Jesus Christ so we could be saved, but also continue to grow us and shape us and conform us into the likeness of your son. God, here's my prayer. It's been my prayer for the last month, and I'm not, I don't want to ever stop praying this. God, we don't want to do great things for you. And that may be shocking if nobody else has heard me say that yet. God, instead, we want an eternal, infinite, all-powerful, can do even more than we can ask or imagine God, who is so unbelievably great to do things through us. And there's a huge difference, God, because we must decrease while you increase. We don't need glory. We don't need attention. We need you to be front and center of this church and in this community. And as you change us, God, may you get all the glory. God, go before us. 
Reach out to our friends and our neighbors. God, may your spirit speak to us, teach us what to say and what to do, God, that we might pour out all that you've given into others, that we might see so many more join us on that last day when we stand before you and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Be faithful with a few things. Now let me put you in charge of many. And all God's people pray.